God, at a time when many would say, these are hard sayings, who can follow them and turn away? You turn to us and you ask, will we leave? We pray, give us the grace to respond. You have the very words of eternal life. Help us to believe. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. My name is John Ziegler, and I am one of the pastors here at Trinity Northside Parish. Those of you that have been around for a while might have noticed that our Deacon Daryl read from a very special red book this morning that has never been here, that we just purchased. And this is a gospel book. And this is traditional that in a church that the gospels be read from a book. It's just only the gospels that are in here, and it's set apart. And I want to explain to you the reason for that. Now, you'll notice it's red, and red represents the Holy Spirit. We know that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. This gospel is precious to us. We love, of course, the entire Bible, but these are the precious words of our Lord. And so we honor them in a special way. And so during the gospel, we have a gospel procession where the deacon, he'll, he'll get the, the book and then he brings it out. Now, if it wasn't COVID and we had an aisle, he might bring it even further into the congregation. And do you know why we do that? It's because at the start of John's gospel, we have these words, that in the beginning was the word and that through the word, all things were made, right? And then the word was made flesh. God came and dwelt among us. And so this gospel book represents the presence of Christ among us. And so we honor it when it's read and um, we just love it and we celebrate it. So I want you guys to know about that so you can know that meaning when our deacon comes out to read the gospel for us. So John 1, some of you guys are probably familiar with it. It's about the word being made flesh and dwelling among us. And then what happens next into the story? Well, if you're familiar, one of the big things that happens next is Jesus goes to a party where they run out of wine and Jesus turns water into wine. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a party, but if you can do that, that's a pretty popular party trick, right? People are going to like you if you can do things like that. And then from there, we see him teaching crowds. And it turns out that Jesus has some really good things to say. People like him. Crowds are coming out to see him. He's giving uh, what we might think of as a good TED talk, right? He's, he, he, he's somebody people want, want to hear. And then he's healing folks. Folks are coming out to him, and they're getting healed. And now, on this day, Jesus goes from turning water into wine. He goes from teaching folks, healing folks. Today, he's feeding folks. There's a saying that's familiar to many of us, that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Uh, in a recent survey by yourtango.com, it showed that actually over half of all women said it was actually food was the way, way to their stomachs as well. And 80% of the people surveyed considered meal preparation an act of love. Now, I don't know if you guys can identify, but it's been so in my life. So my mom, you know, they had this thing about love languages, how different people express love. Her love language is definitely feeding people. 
I mean, she loves to feed you. If you come over, she will feed you. Like, we, we get in from out of town, and it's like she doesn't really, it's not that like she wants to sit and talk with you. She's just like, here, eat this, and then eat that, right? That's how she shows us love. I was reminded this week um, of a story in connection with love and food. Uh, one of our dear old friends, Aaron Randolph, showed up at our doorstep. He was in town for a couple of days, so he came over to visit, and we were sharing a meal. And uh, I first met Aaron in Los Angeles in seminary. We showed up at seminary at the same time. And Aaron is kind of a wild man, okay, in every sense of the word, really. And Aaron had showed up in Los Angeles at LAX, the airport, with his bicycle, a backpack, and a tent. And that's it. And so on day one of seminary, Aaron was actually camping out. He had slept that night uh, in, you know, on the seminary lawn. And uh, he's just a free-spirited kind of person. After seminary, he lived in a van in New York for several years. But I can remember Aaron saying that when we first met, he wasn't sure that I liked him. And maybe I wasn't sure either, you know? Sometimes it's like, is this guy like the real deal or is he faking it, right? But this is what happened. Soon after that, we invited him over to our house to eat. And that's what he said. He's like, at first I didn't know if John liked me, but then they started feeding me, and then I knew that he loved me. Of course, I'm belaboring this point, but what I want you to remind you is at this point, Jesus has really won the crowd over. Not only has he taught them, not only has he healed them, but he has literally filled their bellies with the bread that comes from heaven at an exact moment when they were starving. And everything is going great in Jesus' ministry until he does this thing, until he says this thing that he does about him being the bread of life. Now, let's imagine that Jesus, instead of saying that, said something else. Let's imagine that Jesus had said, my teaching is the bread of life that comes from heaven. My universal message of love and hope and peace, right? which you can find in every other religious tradition, that is the bread of life. Take, eat that, and you will live. Now, we can imagine a lot of people in Galilee and a lot of people in Atlanta being really happy with that message, right? Instead, when it, everything seems to be going great, Jesus creates one of the greatest PR blunders of all time. He tells them, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. If you don't eat my flesh, you don't have life in you. And then as our deacon read this morning, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one that feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And upon hearing these words, his disciples say, these are hard words. Who can accept them? To which Jesus replies with a very good question. Does this offend you? I would say that if you've never been offended by the gospel, 
maybe you aren't hearing it right. A lot of us probably uh, that grew up here in America may have grown up with some false gospels. Some of us maybe grew up hearing that, uh, you know, you're good church folk and people, uh, you know, like us that look like us, think like us, vote like us, well, we're good people. And God likes good folks like us and he died to make us even better. There's a similar version of it. I call it the Disney gospel because it is literally the the plot of Frozen, Moana, and Coco. Um, And I'm not down on these. I'm sitting there watching with my kids as well, by the way. But you gotta be careful, because this is the message. Your deepest desires are good. Society and tradition wants to hold you back from being who you truly are. Salvation is found in discovering your deepest self, freeing yourself, and pursuing that at all costs. Friends, it is incredibly offensive in our fairy tale culture for someone like Jesus to come along and tell us that our desires may not be completely good and pure and that we are not good enough on our own. In fact, the way to life is not within us, but within him. And that it requires depending on him for life and sustenance. As we pray in the prayer book, apart from your grace, there is no health in us. And, oh God, because without you, we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. And again, almighty God, you know we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. These words are offensive. But to those who are able to receive them, they might be the very words of life. My prayer for you and for me is that we might be able to encounter the living word of God and allow it to stretch us, allow it to challenge us, and even offend us. May it not always go down smooth may instead sometimes be like sandpaper that works off our rough edges and imperfections. Truth isn't always easy to hear. God, grant us grace to receive a difficult word that we might turn from our ways and love you as we should. And then in verse 65, Jesus goes on to say this, and he actually repeats something that he had said previously to them, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And friends, what Jesus is talking about here is what we call grace. It's the Father that enables us to recognize who Jesus is. And so we share the good news about Jesus with our friends But as we do, we recognize that sharing the gospel is much more than just a solid presentation of relevant data, right? And you want to get the data right, I encourage you to get the data right and and to give the best presentation you can. But at the end of the day, we have to recognize that those who will come to Jesus are those to whom the Father has revealed the Son to. And so we must pray, God, reveal yourself because we know no one comes to the Father unless 
you enable them. Then in verse 66, we find out that from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Friends, we have arrived at an inflection point in the ministry of Jesus. Today's gospel is a turning point. Jesus has brought the people to a moment of decision. Up until now, Jesus was a good teacher, someone good to have at parties because he brings the food and the wine. But now Jesus wants to say, it's not just about my teaching. In fact, it's all about me. It's not just about a message. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I, I literally am the gift of God for the people of God. Feed on me and your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. For some of us, this passage might recall the argument for the divinity of Christ that sometimes is called the liar, lunatic, or Lord argument, which is summarized so well by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. And if you don't mind, I'll just read a, a little paragraph from that because it's so good and so relevant. This is what he says. I'm here trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a, ma a madman or something worse. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You can, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. I think C.S. Lewis was right. Either Jesus is the bread of life, the source of eternal life, or he's an egocentric narcissist. It's really difficult reading today's passage to see it any other way. And as many people began walking away from Jesus, he turns to his 12 disciples and he says, do you want to leave too? What a question. How much feeling is in that moment? I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I can really identify with the disciples in this moment. I can imagine that as they had kind of jumped in the boat with him and gone all in, just how excited they were that his ministry was taking off. By this time, they had seen crowds come out to him and receive his teaching. They had seen the excitement in the people's eyes, and everything seemed to be going so well. And then all of a sudden, it seems to turn on a dime. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Maybe you, like me, 
have watched friends walk away from the faith, have watched friends walk out of church, maybe for reasons that you can identify with, maybe for reasons that made complete sense to you. And so Jesus turns and he says, do you want to leave too? And I love Peter's response of faith. Notice he doesn't go into a logical discourse defending Jesus as the bread of heaven. He simply says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What a response. Today's gospel is all about a moment of decision about Jesus. And so, as we close out our time for this sermon, I want us just to take a moment of our own decision about Jesus. Where are you on the Jesus question this morning? Now, perhaps some of us are in the exploration phase. What I want you to notice is that Jesus didn't come right out and say, hello, oh, hey, my name is Jesus. Yeah, I'm the bread of heaven, right? There was some time for exploration. There was some time to encounter Jesus for who he was. These are people who have been fed. These are people who have seen him teach. They have seen him heal, right? They've had a little space to explore before he calls them to a decision. And I just want to say that if you're here, if you're watching uh, with us on the internet, welcome, and you're in a spot of exploration where you're just trying to figure out if this Jesus thing is for you, I just want to welcome you to be a part of this community and to taste and see for yourself. Take some time, maybe, before you're ready to make the decision. And then I just wonder, as we're at it talking about exploration, I wonder what it would be like for us as a, as a church family, Trinity Northside, to create a space for exploration? What would it be like for us to literally be a people that people could taste and see that the Lord is good? That they could spend some time around us and notice, you know what? Maybe God is up to something in the world. Through the way that these people are loving each other, through the way these people are serving the Lord, maybe something is. Maybe God is present among them. I wonder what that would look like for us. So some of us might be in a space of exploration, and then maybe for some of you, Jesus is inviting you to a step further. Maybe you are literally at, this, at, at, at a decision point. And so I ask you, who do you say he is? Have you experienced him? Have you seen him alive and at work in your life and in your faith community? Is he a crazy narcissist? Or could it possibly be that he is, as he claimed to be, the bread of heaven which gives life to the world? Some of us maybe need to explore. Others maybe need to decide. And then some of us might need to simply return. Our Old Testament reading today that Susan read for us was the story of Joshua and God's people on the edge of the promised land, right? And so Joshua turns to the people and he says, choose today who you will serve. Who will you serve today? And then he recounts, he says, are you gonna serve the gods of the people that live in the land? 
like your ancestors did? Or are you gonna turn to the Lord and serve him only? Now, I want you guys to know that idolatry is practical. Sometimes the Lord doesn't come through on our timing as quick as we need him to, right? And so people turn to other things to save them. And you might think, well, I don't have any idols at home. But we do this over and over again. We make idols out of anything that we think can save us, anything that we have truly put our hope in to give us life. And so I want to ask you to consider, maybe you're in a spot where you're ready to return, where you're ready to simply receive life from Jesus, where you're ready to see him as your source and your sustenance. God, grant us grace to turn and to recognize Jesus as the bread of life, the one who has the very words of eternal life. Amen. I want to invite you now, and we'll have this practice of silence after the sermon. I just want to invite you to silently meditate on whatever it is the Holy Spirit might be wanting to speak to you in this moment.